Hello, friends and family. It is the weekend of Sunday, January the 16th. We're going to be looking today at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, reading from the ESV version. It's the parable of the ten virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps, and as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And afterwards the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. We began last Sunday to look at some of the parables of Jesus, and especially those which reveal the attitudes and the activities of those who are waiting, watching for his coming again. And so we look today at the another well-known parable of the ten maidens, or the ten virgins, depending on your translation. And at the wedding referred to in this parable, the bride is not much in evidence. In fact, she, she really doesn't appear at all. The parable consists, or concerns, excuse me, an absent bridegroom. And it's only incidentally about him because Jesus focuses primarily on those who are waiting for the bridegroom. This is because the wedding in this parable is an Eastern wedding. And in the East, customs are, are very much different than they are in the West. In the Eastern wedding, the, the bridegroom is the important figure. He, he pays all the expenses of the wedding. And Jesus is spotlighting the experience of these, ton, these 10 young maidens who were waiting for the coming of the bridegroom. There, there may be young ladies here this morning who say, well, I've been waiting for a bridegroom for a long time, but no one's appeared yet. But these, these young maidens were waiting in quite a different sense than some of us may have in mind. And the experience is described in the first six verses. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be compared to ten maidens who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps, and as the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Behold, the bridegroom come out to meet him. That's the first six verses of Matthew 25 in the RSV version. Weddings were always held at night in the East, and often the festivities, well, they lasted for an entire week. And at any time during that week, the bridal party was, was expected to appear. The bridegroom would, would come to get his bride, and they would walk together to the site of the wedding, taking the longest possible route through the town. There would be 
various groups of people waiting at different corners to join the wedding party as they went toward the wedding. And that, that's the background of the, f- the picture here that Jesus draws. And so here are 10 young girls waiting to join the wedding party. They are expecting the bridegroom. Some accounts read and, and the bride, and therefore they're, they're waiting expectantly. Now, as in the previous parable of the household, which was waiting for the absent Lord, this parable obviously is intended to describe us. Jesus knew at this time that he was soon going away, and he knew that there would be this intervening period of time before he returns again. And he's describing the means by which these, these three parables, he means by his command, excuse me, to, to watch, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when your Lord comes. That's Matthew twenty five thirteen. And what he means by watch is brought out in these in these parables. Last week we saw that the first parable indicates that watching involves understanding and obeying the word of God. We are to feed on the word. We are to feed on it and to feed others with it. This is important because it's what God has put us here for. You know, I so easily lose perspective on life. We, we think we've been put here to kind of demonstrate our talents or to make a living or to live as comfortably as possible. Well, all, all these things are, are part of God's blessing, but the real reason we're here is to learn how to live, and we learn how to live by the Word of God, not merely understanding it, but actually working it out into life. So unless we learn to feed on the Word, we'll never learn to live, and that's why Jesus sort of underscores with a tremendous emphasis. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Matthew 4, 4. So in this parable of the ten maidens, we learn another phrase of what watching means. Here's another challenge to us to find hidden truth. One of the exciting things about parables, we talked about this, is to learn to discover such hidden truths and to sort of dig them out by the clues and that are given to us. And here's the story about these 10 girls waiting for the bridegroom's coming and certain clues are given to us to reveal the meaning that Jesus is after. Now, first of all, notice that there's a division among these 10. They're, they fall into two different groups. Five were wise, five were foolish. Well, so the first question, therefore, that immediately confronts us is, well, what makes the difference? In, in what way are five wise and the other five foolish? We can we can see immediately that there were certain very similar things about all 10 of them. They all had lamps, so that's not the reason for the division. They, they, and also, they all had oil when they started, so it's not that. And, and furthermore, they were all expecting the bridegroom's coming. They all had a sense of expectation. Also, when he's delayed, they all go to sleep. So though that does not make the the ground of division, I think it is a significant thing. In each of these parables, Jesus clearly indicates that that his second coming is going to be long delayed. So so that's got to be important. There there are some who teach that Jesus was mistaken about the time of his return. They say that scriptures indicate that he was to come back immediately and and all that the early Christians expected him to return very promptly because that's what he said himself. But but these teachers tell us that Jesus was wrong, and, well, he was obviously mistaken about the time of his return, so they reject completely his whole teaching concerning his return on the basis that he was mistaken about his timing. But Jesus did not teach a soon return at all. He clearly indicated, not only by implication and direct statement, 
as in this parable, but also very specifically that it would be a long time before his return. The bridegroom would be delayed. So in the previous parable of the household, there's the same thing. The servant says to himself, my Lord delays his coming. And, and also in the following parable, we'll find it even clearer after a long time at the, toward the end of Matthew chapter 25. So the, the master comes to demand an accounting from his servants. Jesus clearly taught that it would be a long time before his return to earth again. So while they're waiting for the bridegroom, 10 maidens fall asleep. And here again, some who read this parable, I think, misinterpret it and say that this is wrong. These girls should never have slept. They sort of likened it, liken it to believers who forget about the coming of the Lord, lose all interest in his appearing, and get involved in, in life's matters. But there's nothing in this story to indicate that it was wrong for the girls to sleep. It was a perfectly natural thing for them to do. After all, it was night. And since it was a festive occasion, they, they could not do any work. There, there's no reason why they should not sleep. They were simply waiting for the bridegroom to appear. And when he was delayed, it was only natural for them to catch a few, uh, a few winks while waiting. Doubtless, they placed some kind of a watch to wake them when the bridegroom would appear or does appear, because this is what happened. And Jesus never indicates any blame toward the maidens because they slept. The foolish slept, and the wise as well. So we have to be careful interpreting these stories, not to read into them things that are not implied. It's perhaps suggestive that Jesus records that they all slept. This indicates that when he said, watch, he clearly did not mean that we're to be constantly thinking about his return and not about the business that we have. He, he underscores the fact that watching involves doing perfectly normal things while waiting. Work needs to be done. All types of activities have to go on. There's nothing wrong with this. So to be involved in the natural, normal affairs of life does not mean that we've stopped waiting for Jesus' return. It's part of the process. It's all perfectly normal. But now, according to the story, at midnight, there's a cry. Behold, the bridegroom, come out and meet him. So that immediately plunges us into the rest of the story. Then all those maidens rose, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, Perhaps there will not be enough for us and for you. Go, go to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other maidens came and said, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. It's immediately evident from, the, from that that the crucial difference between the wise and the foolish lies somewhere in the fact that the wise had extra oil. <clears throat> They all had oil to begin with, but the wise took along an extra supply. And that's what made it possible for them to endure the unexpected delay of the bridegroom. So that's got to be the crucial point. The whole parable hangs on that one thing. There was with the wise, this extra hidden supply of oil. There are two things that are made clear by this part of the story. First of all, one, it is that without a light, the maidens could not get into the marriage feast. Jesus does not say why, but it's obviously clear that without a light, they would, they would not be admitted. The lamp, or light, 
is used throughout Scripture symbolically of of knowledge of understanding. We use it the same way today. We you know like to shed a little more light on this subject, quote unquote. You know, so it is in the story. All, all ten had some light, some knowledge, some understanding, but five had a deeper, hidden resource of light. And so, if we apply it to ourselves, we can see how how it fits. Everyone in here, cert- we certainly have a certain degree of light about Jesus's return and its relation in the course of human history. And in that respect, we all have light in the darkness of the age that we live in now. We know more than, than those who do not understand this truth. We know that there's a purpose to history and that it's all going to end according to schedule. Symbolically, these maidens all had to have at least that much knowledge. Light was supplied by oil. And therefore, it was, it was absolutely essential that they have an adequate supply of oil, otherwise their light would go out. And it's also clear from the account that they could not borrow another's supply. When the bridegroom came and their lights began to flicker from lack of oil, the foolish said to the wise, hey, give us your oil because our lights are going out. And the wise said, hey, we can't do that, otherwise we'll not have enough for ourselves and, and you have to go yourself and get some more. But it was too late. And by the time they returned, the door shut, and they were, they were met by the word of Jesus, I never knew you. And, and of course, weddings are not a place for strangers. There's, there's no wedding crashers here. There are some who feel that Jesus is being very unfair here, that he should have let the maidens in. After all, they, they were earnestly, sincerely waiting for his return. And the fact that they did not have enough oil was hardly their fault because they did not realize that he was going to be delayed. So, he ought to have let them in. But we must be careful when we read these parables not to read them from a very limited, our mind, very limited point of view. Jesus is is always right about what he says. He always is. So we have to not challenge his, his appraisal of the situation. He knows what he's talking about. <clears throat> and when he excludes these five foolish maidens, he's revealing to us that we have to seriously seek his reason for doing so. Why did he? He says he, he never knew them. They were strangers to him. They, they never were part of the true family waiting for the bridegroom. And we have to understand what that is. And so it's rendered them strangers. As we've already seen, it centers on this matter of the oil. Oil, throughout the scriptures, throughout the Bible, is commonly used as a type of picture of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Zechariah, the prophet was given a vision of two olive trees standing, one on either side of a lampstand, and the oil from the olive trees dripped into a bowl on top of that lampstand. It was the oil constantly flowing down, which caused the lamps in the lampstand to burn. Zechariah was told that the oil symbolized the Spirit of God. And I think it's here that we have this great quotation, which is, Frequently heard, although a lot of people don't realize where it's from. Zechariah is told, not by my might, nor by my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Zechariah 4, 6. The oil is a picture of the power of the Holy Spirit, which keeps the light of knowledge and truth burning and burning brightly. This is also what we have here in this parable. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit revealing truth, revealing knowledge. The overall picture is that of a group of people very much like us. 
If we would take this parable as Jesus intended it to be taken, as a picture of those who are living in that time between his first coming and his second, who are waiting for his appearing, and who have some understanding of the fact that he is coming again, then we become very much the same kind of group that's described in this parable. There are certain wise among us who have an extra supply of oil, a supply that's adequate to meet the test of whatever may come. But there are also some among us who lack an adequate supply of oil, who have never really discovered the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's a ministry of the Holy Spirit to the minds and hearts of those who are not yet believers. And he, the Holy Spirit enlightens them, us, to a degree, as we read the Scriptures, as we read the Bible, and as we understand such truth as Jesus' return, but, but have, haven't maybe come to that place where the truth has really gripped them. They've understood it, but it's not gripped and held them. They've come to into a personal knowledge of the one who the truth is to reveal, Jesus. But that's, that's the whole purpose of Bible study. It's not to learn merely what God is going to do with the world or to understand our own psychological makeup. It is rather that we might come to understand and know personally personally in a day-by-day living relationship Jesus Christ who has come to live within us that's the basis of true life and that of course is this extra flask of oil hidden away inside those who have it do not don't look any different than anyone else no one sees it there but when the hour of testing comes when the pressure comes their light does not go out because they are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. They will hold to the truth and maintain it. So that's the picture here in this parable. As life moves on and as cares press on us, our, our early zeal as Christians sometimes fades and the excitement of knowing God sometimes dims. And that's when the test comes. The, then our knowledge of Jesus must go deeper than simply head knowledge. It must reach the heart. But oh, the distance between the head and the heart can often be the longest we travel. But we have to become basically changed by the truth. And that's what Jesus is bringing out. There's, there's a kind of believer Christian veneer which we can put on. We can learn in Sunday school how to act like a Christian. We can learn what Christian truth is. We can learn the doctrines of Christianity. We can learn the truth that it teaches. We can fill our head with this kind of thing and display it on Sundays. But it's not... It's not going to make any essential difference in our life during or but but if but it, if it doesn't make any essential difference in our life during the week or at home, then we're being foolish. We're not we don't have any extra oil. We have truth for the surface of life, but but nothing for the depths, the crises, the the the, the things that happen. Maybe we know the doctrine of the scripture, but we don't know the power of it. And, and it's in our head, but it's never reached our heart. Folks like that maybe believe in Jesus, but they've never known him as Lord. And that's what makes the difference. That's what Jesus is saying. Without that, we can't properly watch for his coming, for his appearing. And as the days get more critical, as error becomes more believable and is more widespread, it becomes harder and harder to believe the truth. Only if the truth has actually gripped us and we're held by the Son of God himself, Will we be able to stand in that hour of testing? The wise have oil for the crisis hour. When the hard test comes, 
the pressures are on their their light doesn't flicker or go or or go out in the darkness they don't give up or give in the truth isn't forsaken but they cling to it even more closely when when the final summons comes they're ready to they're ready it is quite possible for us to know many things about christianity but never really let it change our hearts and our lives I think we're living in this kind of an hour. It's been striking, right, to note the last few years of, of, of folks, we, we've all seen it, that we thought were stable and solid, and, but people that have walked away from, from their Christian faith. They've denied Jesus who, who bought them, and they've turned away from the truth. There comes a time when all the things we learn in Scripture, its, its philosophy and its pattern of life, can appear to us to be nonsense or to be trustworthy, unreliable, and like the rest of knowledge around, to be very unsure. We can, we can easily be afflicted this way. It can happen to all of us. Or we can, or we can press in in that hour and hold steady. Something else will prove as attractive as, and compelling and in its logic of Christianity, and we'll be ready for it. We, we, we'll know the final analysis. We, we can't forsake him. There's no place else to go. And though perhaps we're not sure what he says when it will turn out to be right, nevertheless, it's, it's the best possible chance that we have to stand. And that's the ultimate test. Jesus says that those who are wise are kept in times of pressure. When darkness settles on, their lights don't go out because they're fed by a reserve supply of the Holy Spirit who dwells within them. So are we ready for that? That's what this parable is all about. Do we have that quality of relationship with Jesus Christ so we can stand the test? Have we, have we traveled that distance between our head and our heart and allowed the Holy Spirit to permeate our lives? Have we been a surface, superficial Christian committed to certain truths but never to a person, related only to certain doctrinal matters? Do we see this as sort of a national agenda? Or do we see this as a personal relationship? So what does Jesus mean by watching? It means to know his word. That's the first step. To, be, to feed on it and to feed others with it. But now he adds a second element to that. That knowledge of the word has to go deeper than the surface. It has to be an obedience of the heart. Trusting giving over completely of the central control of our life, our will, our very will to Jesus Christ. This results in the indwelling, the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is the one, the source of oil that makes the light never run out. So we leave with that rhetorical question. Are we wise or are we foolish? Amen. And God bless.